on today's episode of the Digging In Podcast. We talk about the story of Daniel. What is up, everybody in the Digging In family? Welcome back to another episode of the Digging In Podcast Lessons from Series. Today we are picking up on our hodgepodge week of random characters by continuing on and looking at the story of Daniel. This is a story that is very well known in many of those little kid Bible studies and little kid uh, Sunday school lessons all throughout the world uh, with Daniel in the lion's den and Daniel in the fiery furnace. And today I offer the same joy and the same excitement that is within those stories, but I, I want to give a little bit more context and I also want to talk about just the interesting nature of the story of Daniel because in our reality, we stop in Daniel 6 and then the rest of Daniel, we just kind of move on past. And so uh, this is a, it's an interesting opportunity for us to talk about the book of Daniel and what it means for us today. So my invitation for you guys is to go ahead and grab your Bible, turn it over to Daniel, and then also make sure you have your pen and your paper. And let's dig in. Father God, thank you so much for bringing us here together today to spend time fixing our eyes on you. Let us remember the lessons of yesterday. Let us remember the fact of the matter, which is you are the holiest of holies, the biggest of all biggest things. God, there's nothing greater, nothing more grand, nothing more majestic than you. And so today as we are walking into reading your word and learning about your word, let us not forget the ultimate nature of who you are. Let us not forget that you are not to be taken lightly. But let us rejoice in the fact that although you are the biggest of the big, the creator of the universe, you also invite us in to an intimate relationship. So God, thank you for that. Thank you for your son and his work on the cross. And I pray, I pray that today as we move forward, as we read through scripture, that we would be reminded of your consistency, your effort, and your work in the lives of human beings, but also the way that you love us. God, we love you so much. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, everybody. We are jumping straight into the book of Daniel. And when I say straight in, I mean not yet. <laughs> uh, I feel like there's a couple things that I need to Actually, one major thing that I want to say. A little while ago, there was a uh, Q&A, uh, a forum, a panel, and there was this theologian on there who was asked a question. The question was, of all of your seminary, of all of your theological studies, of all the growth that you've had in reading the Bible, what is the most important thing? What's the most important factoid? What's the most important detail of all of your learning that you've gathered? And then after a brief pause, and I mean a pretty brief pause, he, the theologian looked at this kid and said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And the place was stunned. I mean, it was silent because we're looking at a theologian, a guy who's spent years in school. He's got the, you know, the PhD, he's got a, he's got a doctor in front of his name. And we expect him to give us this long lecture or this long sermon about the most important thing that he's learned. It's some like super nerdy, super connected thing. But what does he say? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Guys, 
I am in a position of, of being in seminary and being in ministry and being both in youth ministry and also just ministry in general in the church. And I find that oftentimes we like to make these big ginormous statements or these big grand things out of uh, something quite simple. Or we, we take a small little detail of the Bible and we turn it into something that's way too big and where it's not even supposed to be. Or we take a theological frame of mind like Calvinism and, and we turn it into the say-all, be-all, that it's like my, sav- my Lord and Savior, John Calvin. And for those of you who missed that one, totally fine. But the fact of the matter is this. We, we have decided that these other issues are more important. But what this theologian just said not too long ago was that the fundamental, most important thing that he has ever learned in his 40-plus years of ministry and 20-something-odd years of educational setting stuff is that Jesus loves him, that God loves him, and that's what the Bible is telling him. That's, that's it. And so as we continue moving forward in these studies and we, we look at all these different characters, and then we, as we move away from the character studies and we move into our next series that will come after all of this, the, the goal is not to just become smarter or know more about the Bible. The goal is to fall deeper in love with Christ. Because the fact of the matter is, he's already proven to you that he loves you. He's already done everything to show you, to reveal to you how much he loves you. And that's why we read this Bible. That's why we look at the text, because it tells us everything. And so it's not that you need to sit here now and, and, and prove to him that you love him. But what it is, is saying, hey, do you love him? Is his love for you the most important thing about your faith? Because what we're going to read today with the story of Daniel is a guy who understood the love of God, a guy who was himself in love with God, a guy who committed himself to the Lord so much so that he was willing to sacrifice everything just so he could have his faith. And so open up with me to the book of Daniel as we talk deeper and more seriously about the love of God and what he desires from us is just for us to love him. Today, your reading is Daniel 1 through 6. I want you to read Daniel 1 through 6, and then I'll briefly mention 7 through 12 at the end of today. So why don't you guys go ahead and read Daniel 1 through 6, and then join us for some more discussion. All right. So Daniel, the book of Daniel, we know a lot about him from our uh, Sunday school lessons when we were kids. Uh, If you're like me and you didn't grow up in the church and you didn't take those Sunday school lessons, then maybe you don't know all that much about him. But I encourage you today to to learn a little bit about Daniel. Uh, What we read right off the bat in Daniel 1 through 7 is that Daniel was actually taken uh, from Judah or from Israel, from Judah, and uh, taken into Babylonian captivity. And so we are looking at a time in the exile. But here's what's interesting. There's actually two waves. There were two waves of Babylonian captivity. In the first wave, the rich and powerful, the royal people were taken from Jerusalem, from Israel, and put into exile first. And then the rest of everyone else was brought in second. And so Daniel was actually taken in the first wave. So he's been there longer than other people who came in later. 
Um, but he's been in there and he was relatively young when he was taken there. What we read about is that he is kind of top of his class. If you read 1-1 through um, 121, the whole of chapter uh, one, what you'll read is that he was taken into captivity and he was brought into King Nebuchadnezzar's court. He was brought into King Nebuchadnezzar's court. And uh, the, the point was that they were going to take the young people, the rich and powerful people's kids, and they were going to assimilate them. So they were going to teach them their language, their culture, their traditions, their faith, um, how they eat, and, and all of that stuff. They were going to teach them all of that. So that way, as they grew older, they would essentially be Babylonians. They wouldn't be Jews any longer, but they would be Babylonians. And so um, Daniel and his three buddies uh, are in this program. Of, of kind of, you know, doing that. But at, at the same time, Daniel is above everyone. So you look at verse like 117. As for these four youths, Daniel and his three friends, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And at the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. King spoke with them, and among all of them he found he, he, all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of Cyrus. So, what we see is that Daniel, even at a young age, was considered top of his class and kind of the best of the best, him and his three buddies. And so you, you hear those names, uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, uh, and you will soon see those names change. <laughs> um, but regardless, uh, those, are, those are the four characters of the book of Daniel. And then what immediately happens right after this is the stories of Daniel using that God-given gift to interpret visions and dreams. So we see Nebuchadnezzar have a certain dream. It kind of haunts him, scares him a little bit, and... Uh, God, through Daniel, reveals what that dream is and then interprets it in chapter 2. And then after that promotion, what we read in, in 2.46 is that King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face after, after Daniel interpreted the dream and told him everything that was going to happen. Uh, he fell on his faith, face, paid homage to Daniel, and commanded that an offering and incest be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. And so at that moment, Daniel made a request to the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those are now their new names, <laughs> over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. So all this is to say, everything here is to say that after the dream was interpreted, the King Nebuchadnezzar realized that it was God revealing that through Daniel. And so he proclaims the name of God in front of a whole bunch of people. And not only does he proclaim the name of God as Lord of Lords, but then he goes on to promote Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they get promotions because of what Daniel did. Now, there, there was this moment that follows that, that kind of makes things a little weird yet again. So Nebuchadnezzar, uh, being a Babylonian, right, not a Jew, uh, 
builds a golden image. And he says, everyone must worship this golden image. And then some of the priests of Nebuchadnezzar say, hey, uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're, they're not worshiping uh, that idol, that, that golden image you created. And also they don't really care about you that much. And so then what happens? That nice king fallen in his face, uh, Nebuchadnezzar guy, right? In a fiery rage says, you know what? Put them all in the furnace. And so they all go and end up getting put in front of, well, first, before they get put in the furnace, he brings them all into the court and says, hey, this is your chance. Bow down now. And they're like, we're not going to bow down. And so he's filled with fury in uh, 319. And the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. He ordered the furnace be heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of the army to bind all three of those dudes up and cast them into the fiery furnace. So these men were bound up in their clothes and they were taken all the way over to the furnace, the seven times harder one, and they were thrown into it. And as they were thrown into it, what happens? Nothing. They don't, they don't die, right? And so you can read his kind of what happens here in 24, in 24 through 25, right? Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast those three men into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king, but I see four men unbound in there walking in the midst of the fire. They are not hurt. Their appearance of, of the fourth is like a son of God's, an angel. So even an outsider can say that looks like an angel in there. So this angel of the Lord protects the three dudes and Nebuchadnezzar does what? Falls on his face again, chapter four, and he praises God. Peace be multiplied to all of you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders of the most high God has done for me, right? And so Nebuchadnezzar praises God again after another pretty weird miracle, right? And then he has another dream and Daniel interprets another dream. And then Nebuchadnezzar is humiliated by just the, the mere nature of things that are happening. Um, and then he's then restored. And there's this really weird chapter five, where there's some handwriting that's on the wall. And then Daniel interprets the handwriting. And so he takes this, this weird phrase that was written on the wall, and he describes it and explains it to all of the people. <clears throat> And this wild thing that happens, and this is a new king, by the way, Nebuchadnezzar uh, is, it has died, and King Belshazzar is the new king, and he interprets this for King Belshazzar. And Belshazzar then says this in 529, he gave the command that Daniel was clothed with purple, a chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom about, about being, being about 62 years old. And so what we see is that Belshazzar promoted him and made a decree about him, and then a new king is set up. And so Darius, this new king, Darius the Mede, uh, sets up the kingdom so that there's a whole bunch of these satraps, these people who are uh, leaders, like little tribal leaders or regional leaders. And Daniel was over all of them. So he was in charge of all the satraps. Um, and uh, there's two other dudes who were also. But the thing is, all the satraps get together, and so does the other, the other two leaders, and they say, hey, we don't like that Daniel is up there. So let's, let's make a decree of some sort 
And once we have that decree, we'll, we'll trick that king into signing it because it's going to be that anyone who doesn't worship Darius, the Mede, then they have to be thrown into the lion's den. And so sure enough, they, they get it signed. Darius signs it. And then in 610, we read this. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had the windows in his upper room turned towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed and gave thanks to his God as he just, just as he had done previously. So then men came up to him, found that he was praising God and not Darius the Mede, and they said, you know what? That's, that's exactly against the law. So he needs to be thrown in the lion's den. And so Darius the Mede is like, oh no, I actually kind of liked it, Daniel. I set him up really high. I don't want this to happen, but it's the law. I got to abide by it. I can't change it, I guess. And so he does. So he, he throws Daniel into the lion den and says, may your God protect you. And then he comes back in the morning and Daniel's in there with the lion and nothing's happening. I mean, another miracle. I mean, this is like six miracles in six chapters. I mean, this is pretty, five miracles in six chapters. This is pretty remarkable stuff here. And that causes Darius, the Mede, to then kill all those people who tricked him into signing that decree and all their families as well. And it also causes Darius the Mede to fall on his face in worship. And so there are three kings in six chapters and all three of them in response to Daniel's faith and the faith that he has in God and then God is showing himself through Daniel all three of them at some level come to know who God is. Now it doesn't stay for, for the whole time, but not like it does for any of us humans. Sometimes we remember the goodness of God and sometimes we don't, but all three of these people were led the highest up rulers were led to an understanding, at least a base understanding of who God is through Daniel. And so the reason why I think this is cool is also because the next Several chapters, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12 are apocalyptic literature. If you guys remember, <laughs> if you remember apocalyptic literature from our last episode, it reads with these beautiful images, but they're kind of scary. And they're, some of it is into the world, some of it is not into the world, but it's uh, really like this huge revelation and turning. And some of this is really important for how we understand the New Testament. And so we'll get, we'll come back to Daniel 7 through 12, but for now, I want you to realize that in those six chapters, Daniel, the main character, was a part of almost all the miracles except for one when his three buddies were protected by an angel in the fiery furnace. And in all of them, his faith was revealed mega, big time, right? And so what's important to look at here is that although the world around him was massively unbelieving, was massively worshiping other idols and other people were bowing down to their own kings, Daniel and his three buddies refused to give up their faith. Everyone else was being assimilated. Everyone else was looking like and sounding like one another. They may have looked a little bit different here and there, but at the end of the day, they were all Babylonians. They all looked the same, talked the same, act the same. But Daniel and his three buddies were willing to stand out and be different and not give into the world, not be conformed by their world, but rather be defined by their faith. And God blesses them mightily because of their commitment to their faith. He protects them and he reveals himself through them. Other people are brought to faith through them. Guys, the story of Daniel is so cool 
because there's so many facets and so many elements of it. And the reason I skipped over it kind of in part was because it's a good mix of Esther and Ezekiel. Ezekiel in the in the apocalyptic literature that we're going to come back to eventually, um, but Esther in this person who was essentially brought into a foreign nation under Babylonian captivity and his lowly position that because of his faith, he began to rise. If you remember the story of Esther and Mordecai, their faith and their, their identity as Jewish people, God allowed them to prosper in situations that seemed like they shouldn't have prospered. And then this is the same story as with uh, Joseph in, in Genesis, right? It's the same, the same story. And so what we read in all this is God's active work in a dead and dying world. I mean, I feel like I've said it a million times, but guys, they're in Babylonian exile for approximately 70 years right now. They're in exile. They are in a foreign land where their faith is not appreciated. And it's, as, as you can see here, is actually punished at some points in time. And there are people who are still choosing to worship and love God. For the most part, us and us in the Western world in America, we've never experienced this. We've never experienced really what it looks like and what it means to be putting our faith on the forefront. We have the luxury of living in a free country where we get to you know, choose when we do our Bible readings and we get to pick what hour of the day and what coffee shop we want to go to or all those things, right? We get to choose it all. But at this moment in time, Daniel made one commitment. And that was three times a day, no matter what, he was going to go to his upper room and he was going to pray. How amazing is that? How, how awesome is that? He did not take his relationship with God lightly, not even a little bit. He took it so seriously that even when they signed a decree that said, you'll be thrown into the lion's den, he said, that doesn't bother me. My faith is more important than your punishment. My faith is more important than your opinions. My faith is more important than your judgments. Do you hear that? Do you hear Daniel? His story is tremendous. And I feel like I could talk about it all day long. But I'm not going to do that. What I want you to do is I want you to think about his story today. I want you to think about the bravery and the faithfulness of Daniel. And don't say to yourself, well, I need to be more like him. Say to yourself, I need to not take God for granted. Say to yourself, I need to fall on my knees I need to respond to God and then pray and spend time with the creator God of the universe who wants nothing more than a personal relationship with you. I promise his arms are open and I promise he cannot wait until you commune with him once again. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Digging In Podcast Lessons From series. Join us on our next episode as we leave the exile and we enter into the period of Ezra and Nehemiah and the return to Jerusalem.